Welcome back to Books at Bedtime. I'm Tyler, and I have been gone a while. A lot of things uh, shifted in my life all at once, and my schedule no longer um, allowed me to keep recording these daily. Um, I should be able to do these at least once a week, maybe twice for now. Um, Yeah, anyway, um, let's get to it. Chapter 62 Leaves Under pointed advice from several sources, I limited myself to three fields of study in the upcoming term. I continued advanced sympathy with Alxadal, held a shift in the Medica, and continued my apprenticeship under Manette. My time was pleasantly full, but not overburdened as it had been last term. I studied my artificing more doggedly than anything else, since my search for a patron had be had come to a dead end. I knew my best chance for self-sufficiency lay in becoming an artificer. Some people might say artificer or artificer, but the word is artifice, and so I choose to say artificer. Sorry, that was a little aside from me. Uh, currently, I worked for Kilvin and was given relatively menial jobs at relatively low pay. Once I finished my apprenticeship, that would improve. Better still, I would be able to pursue my own projects, then sell them on commission for a profit. If, if I was able to keep ahead of my debt to Devi, if I could somehow continue to muster enough money for tuition, if I could finish my apprenticeship under Manette, with sorry, it's uh, Monet, isn't it? Monet, under Monet, without getting myself killed or crippled by the dangerous work that was done in the fishery every day. Forty or fifty of us gathered in the workshop, waiting to see the new arrival. Some sat on the stone work tables to get a good view while a dozen or so students gathered on the iron catwalks in the rafters among Kilvin's hanging lamps. I saw Monet there. He was hard to miss, three times older than any of the other students with his wild hair and grizzled beard. I headed up the stairs and made my way to his side. He smiled and clapped me on the shoulder. "'What are you doing here?' I asked. "'I thought this was just for the Greenwood, who haven't seen this stuff before.' I thought I'd play the dutiful mentor today, he shrugged. Besides, this particular display is worth watching, if only for the expressions on everyone's faces. Sitting atop one of the shop's heavy work tables was a massive uh, cylindrical container about four feet high and two feet across. The edges were sealed without any bulky welds, and the metal had a dull burnished look that made me guess it was more than simple steel. I let my gaze wander the room, and was surprised to see Fela standing in the crowd, waiting for the demonstration to begin along with the rest of the students. I didn't know Fela worked here, I said to Monet. Monet nodded. Oh, sure, what, two terms now? I'm surprised I haven't noticed. I mused as I watched her talking to one of the other women in the crowd. So am I, Monet said with a low knowing chuckle. But she's not here very often. She sculpts and works with 
cut tile and glass. She's here for the equipment, not the sigil tree. The belling tower struck the hour outside, and Kilowin looked around, marking the faces of everyone there. I didn't doubt for a moment that he took note of exactly who was missing. Several span we... Oh, sorry. For several span we have... Goodness gracious. Okay. I didn't doubt for a moment that he took note of exactly who was missing. For several span, we will have in this... I can, I can English, guys. For several span, we will have this in the shop, he said simply, gesturing to the metal container that stood nearby. Nearly ten gallons of a volatile transporting agent, Regim Ignol Neraton. He's the only one who calls it that, Monat said softly. It's bone tar. Bone tar? He nodded. It's caustic. Spill it on your arm, and it'll eat through to the bone in about ten seconds. While everyone watched, Kelvin donned a thick leather glove and decanted about an ounce of dark liquid from the metal canister into a glass vial. It is important to chill the vial prior to decanting, as the agent boils at room temperature. He quickly sealed off the vial and held it up for everyone to see. The pressure cap is also essential, as the liquid is extremely volatile. As a gas, it exhibits surface tension and viscosity, like mercury. It is heavier than air and does not dissipate. It coheres to itself. With no further preamble, Kilvin tossed the vial into a nearby firewell. There was a sharp, clear sound of breaking glass. From this height, I could see the firewell must have been cleaned out specially for this occasion. It was empty, just a shallow, circular pit of bare stone. It's a shame he's not more of a showman, Monnet said softly to me. Elk Sedell could do this with a little more flair. The room was filled with a sharp crackling and hissing as the dark liquid warmed itself against the stone of the firewell and began to boil. From my high vantage, I could see a thick, oily smoke slowly filling the bottom of the well. It didn't behave like fog or smoke at all. Its edges didn't diffuse. It pooled and hung together like a tiny, dark cloud. Monet tapped me on the shoulder, and I looked at him just in time to avoid being blinded by the initial burst of flame as the cloud caught fire. There were dismayed noises from all around, and I guessed most of the others had been caught unaware. Monat grinned at me and gave me a knowing wink. Thanks, I said, and turned back to watch. Jagged flames danced across the surface of the fog, colored a bright sodium red. The additional heat made the dark fog boil faster, and it swelled until the flames were licking toward the top of the waist-high lip of the firewell. Even from where I stood on the catwalk, I could feel a gentle heat on my face. What the hell do you call that? I asked him quietly. Fire fog? We could, he responded. Kilvin would probably call it an atmospherically activated incendiary action. The fire flickered 
had died all at once, leaving the room filled with the acrid smell of hot stone. In addition to being highly corrosive, Kilvin said, in its gaseous state, the reagent is flammable. Once it warms sufficiently, it will burn on contact with air. The heat that this produces can cause a cascading exothermic reaction. Cascading huge goddamn fire, Monet said. You're better than a chorus, I said softly, trying to keep a straight face. Kilvin gestured. This container is designed to keep the agent cold and under pressure. Be mindful while it remains in the workshop. Avoid excessive heat in its immediate vicinity. With that, Kilvin turned and headed back into his office. That's it? I asked. Monet shrugged. What else needs to be said? Kilvin doesn't let anyone work here unless they're careful, and now everyone knows what to be careful of. Why is it even here, I asked. What's it good for? Scares the hell out of the first-timers, he grinned. Anything more practical than that? Fear is plenty practical, he said. But you can use it to make a different type of emitter for sympathy lamps. You get a bluish light instead of the ordinary red. A little easier on the eyes. Fetch outrageous prices. I looked down into the workshop, but couldn't see Fella anywhere in the milling bodies. I turned back to Monet. Want to keep playing dutiful mentor and show me how? He absently ran his hands through his wild hair and shrugged. Sure. I was playing at Anchors later that night when I caught the eye of a beautiful girl sitting at one of the crowded tables in, the, in back. She looked remarkably like Denna, but I knew that to be nothing more than my own fancy. I hoped to see her enough that I had been catching glimpses of her out of the corner of my eye for days. My second glance told me the truth. It was Denna, singing along with half the folk in anchors to Drover's daughters. She saw I was looking in her direction and waved. Her appearance caught me so much by surprise that I completely forgot what my fingers were doing, and my song fell to pieces. Everyone laughed, and I took a grand bow to hide my embarrassment. They cheered and booed me in equal amounts for a minute or two, enjoying my failure more than they had the song itself. Such is human nature. I waited for the attention to drift away from me, then made my way casually to where Denna was sitting. She stood to greet me. I had heard you were playing on this side of the river, she said, but I can't imagine how you keep the job if you fall apart every time a girl gives you a wink. I felt myself flush a little. It doesn't happen that often. The winking or the falling apart? Unable to think of a response, I felt myself flush redder, and she laughed. How long will you be playing tonight? she asked. Not much longer, I lied. I owed Anchor at least another hour. She brightened. Good. Come away with me afterward. I need someone to walk with. Hardly believing my good luck, I made a bow to her. At your service, certainly. Let me go and finish up. I made my way to the bar where Anchor and two of his serving girls were busy pulling drinks. Unable to catch his eye, I grabbed hold of his apron as he hurried past me. He jerked to a stop and barely avoided spilling a tray of drinks onto a table of customers. God's teeth, boy. What's the matter with ye? Anchor, I've got to go. I can't stay till closing tonight. His face soured. Crowds like this don't come for the asking. They ain't going to stay without a little song or something to entertain him. 
I'll do one more song, a long one, but I've got to go after that. I gave him a desperate look. I swear, I swear I'll make it up to you. He looked at me more closely. Are you in trouble? I shook my head. It's a girl, then. He turned his head at the sound of voices calling for more drinks, then waved me away briskly. Fine, go, but mind you, make it good. I'm sorry, make it a good long song, and you'll owe me. I moved to the front of the room and clapped my hands for the room's attention. Once the room was moderately quiet, I began to play. By the time I struck the third chord, everyone knew what it was. Tinker Tanner, the oldest song in the world. I took my hands from the lute and began to clap. Soon everyone was pounding out the rhythm in unison, feet against the floor, mugs on tabletops. The sound was almost overwhelming, but it faded appropriately when I sang the first verse. Then I led the room in the chorus with everyone singing along, some with their own words, some in their own keys. I moved to a nearby table as I finished my second verse and led the room in uh, and led the room in the chorus again. Then I gestured expectantly toward the table to sing a verse of their own. It took a couple of seconds for them to realize what I wanted, but the expectation of the whole room was enough to encourage one of the more tipsy students to shout out a verse of his own. It gained him thunderous applause and cheers. Then, as everyone sang in the chorus again, I moved to another table and did the same thing. Before too long, folk were taking initiative to sing out their own verses when the chorus was over. I made my way to where Dana waited by the outer door, and together we slipped out into the early evening twilight. That was cleverly done, she said as we began to stroll away from the tavern. How long do you think they'll keep it up? That will all depend on how quickly Anchor manages to pull down drinks. I came to a stop at the edge of the alley that ran between the back of Anchor's tavern and the bakery next door. If you will excuse me a moment, I have to put my loot away. In an alley? She asked. In my room. Stepping lightly, I moved quickly up the side of the building. Right foot rain barrel, left foot window ledge, left hand iron drain pipe, and I swung myself onto the lip of the first story roof. I hopped across the alley to the roof of the bakery and smiled at her startled intake of breath. From there it was a short stroll upward, and I hopped back across to the second story roof of Anchors. Tripping the latch to my window, I reached through and set my loot lightly on my bed before heading back down the way I had come. Does Anchor charge a penny every time you use his stairs? she asked as I neared the ground. I stepped down from the rain barrel and brushed my hands against my pants. I come and go at odd hours, I explained easily as I fell in step beside her. Am I correct in understanding that you are looking for a gentleman to walk with you tonight? A smile curved her lips as she looked sideways at me. Quite. That is unfortunate, I sighed. I am no gentleman. Her smile grew. I think that you are close enough. I would like to be closer. Then come walking with me. It would please me greatly. However, I slowed up my walk a bit, my smile fading into a more serious expression. What about Sovoy? Her mouth made a line. He's staked a claim on me, then. Well, not as such, but there are certain protocols involved. A gentleman's agreement? she asked acidly. More like 
honor among thieves, if you will. She looked me in the eye. Kvo, she said seriously. Steal me. I bowed and made a sweeping gesture toward the world. At your command. We continued our walk. The moon was shining, making the houses and shops around us seem washed and pale. How is Sovoy? Anyway, I haven't seen him for a while. She waved a hand to dismiss the thought of him. I haven't either. Not for lack of trying on his part. My spirits rose a bit. Really? She rolled her eyes. Roses, I swear you men all have your romance from the same worn book. Flowers are a good thing, a sweet thing to give a lady. But it is always roses. Always red. And always perfect hothouse blooms when they can come by them. She turned to face me. When you see me, do you think of roses? I knew enough to shake my head, smiling. What, then? If not a rose, what do you see? Trapped, I looked up... Sorry, trapped. I looked her up and down once, as if trying to decide. Well, I said slowly, you'll have to forgive us, men. You see, it's not an easy thing to pick a flower to fit a girl, if you'll excuse my expression. She grimaced. Pick a flower. Yes, I'll excuse it this time. The trouble is, when you gift a girl with flowers, your choice can be construed so many different ways. A man might give you a rose because he feels you are beautiful, or because he fancies the shade or shape or softness similar to your lips. Roses are expensive, and perhaps he wishes to show through a valuable gift that you are valuable to him. You make a good case for roses, she said. The fact remains, I do not like them. Pick another flower to suit me. But what suits? When a man gives you a rose, what you see may not be what he intends. You may think he sees you as delicate or frail. Perhaps you dislike a suitor who considers you all sweet and nothing else. Perhaps the stem is thorned, and you assume he thinks you likely to hurt a hand too quick to touch. But if he trims the thorns, you might think he has no liking for a thing that can defend itself with sharpness. There's so many ways a thing can be interpreted, I said. What is a careful man to do? She cast a sidelong look at me. If the man is you, I'd guess he would spin clever words and hope the question was forgotten. She tilted her head. It isn't. What flower would you pick for me? Very well. Let me think. I turned to look at her, then away. Let's run down a list. Dandelion might be good. It is bright, and there is a brightness about you. But dandelion is common, and you are not a common creature. Roses we have dealt with and discarded. Nightshade? No. Nettle? Perhaps. She made a face of mock outrage and showed me her tongue. I tapped a finger to my lips, as if reconsidering. You are correct, except for your tongue, it doesn't suit you. She huffed and crossed her arms. Wild oat, I exclaimed, startling a laugh from her. Its wildness suits you, but it is a small flower and bashful. For that, as well as other, I cleared my throat. More obvious reasons. I think we'll pass the wild oat by. Pity, she said. Daisy is a good one. 
I pulled ahead, not letting her distract me. Tall and slender, willing to grow by roadsides. A hearty flower, not too delicate. Daisy is self-reliant. I think it might suit you, but let us continue in our list. Iris, too gaudy. Thistle, too distant. Violet, too brief. Trillium? Hmm, there's a thing. A fair flower doesn't take to cultivation. The texture of the petals. I made the boldest motion of my young life and brushed the side of her neck gently with a pair of fingers. Smooth enough to match your skin, just barely. But it is too close to the ground. This is quite a bouquet you've brought for me, she said gently. Unconsciously, she raised a hand to the side of her neck where I had touched her, held it there for a moment, then let it fall. A good sign or a bad one? Was she wiping away my touch or pressing it close? Uncertainty filled me more strongly than before, and I decided to press ahead with no more blatant risks. I stopped walking. Celis flower. She stopped and turned to me. All this? And you pick a flower I don't know? What is a celis flower? Why? It is a deep red flower that grows on a strong vine. Its leaves are dark and delicate. They grow best in shadowy places, but the flower itself finds stray sunbeams to bloom in. I looked at her. That suits you. There is much of you that is both shadow and light. It grows in deep forests and is rare because only skilled folk can tend one without harming it. It has a wondrous smell and is much sought and seldom found. I paused and made a point of examining her. Yes, since I am forced to pick, I would choose Celes. That's S-E-L-A-S, Celes. She looked at me, looked away. You think too much of me. I smiled. Perhaps you think too little of yourself. She caught a piece of my smile and shone it back at me. You were closer early in your list. Daisies, simple and sweet. Daisies are the way to win my heart. I will remember it. We started walking again. What flower would you bring me? I teased, thinking to catch her off guard. A willow blossom, she said without a second's hesitation. I thought for a long minute. Do willows have blossoms? She looked up and to the side, thinking. I don't think so. A rare treat to be given one, then, I chuckled. Why a willow? Why a willow blossom? You remind me of a willow, she said easily, strong, deep-rooted, and hidden. You move easily when the storm comes, but never farther than you wish. I lifted my hands as if fending off a blow. These, these sweet words, I protested. You seek to bend me to your will, but it will not work. Your flattery is not to me but wind. She watched me for a moment, as if to make sure my tirade was complete. Beyond all other trees, she said with a curl of a smile on her elegant mouth, the willow moves to the wind's desire. The stars told me five hours had passed, but it seemed hardly any time at all before we came to the oaken oar where she was staying at, in Imri. At the doorway, there was a moment that lasted for an hour as I considered kissing her. I had been tempted by the thought of, uh, by the thought, a dozen times on the road as we talked, 
When we paused on Stonebridge to watch the river in the moonlight underneath a linden tree in one of Imre's parks, at those times I felt a tension building between us, something almost tangible, when she looked sideways at me with her secret smile, the tilt of her head, the way she almost faced me, made me think she must be hoping for me to do something, put my arm around her, kiss her. How did one know? How could I be certain? I couldn't. So I resisted the pull of her. I did not want to presume too much, nor uh, did not want, sorry, I did not want to presume too much, did not want to offend her or embarrass myself. What's more, Dirk's warning had made me uncertain. Perhaps what I felt was nothing more than Dana's natural charm, her charisma. Like all boys of my age, I was an idiot when it came to women. The difference between me and the others is that I was painfully aware of my ignorance while others like Simon bumbled around, making asses of themselves with their clumsy courting. I could think of nothing worse than making some unwelcome advance toward Denna and having her laugh at the awkwardness of my attempt. I hate nothing more than doing things badly. So I made my goodbyes and watched her enter the side door of the oaken oar. I took a deep breath and could hardly keep from laughing or dancing about. I was so full of her, the smell of the wind through her hair, the sound of her voice, the way the moonlight cast shadows across her face. Then, slowly, my feet settled to the ground. Before I had taken six steps, I sagged like a sail when the wind fades. As I walked back through the town, part, uh, past sleeping houses and dark inns, my mood swung from elation to doubt in the space of three brief breaths. I had ruined everything. All the things I had said, things that seemed so clever at the time, were in fact the worst things a fool could say. Even now she was inside, breathing a sigh of relief to finally be rid of me. But she had smiled, had laughed. She hadn't remembered our first meeting on the road from Tarbin. I couldn't have made that much of an impression on her. Steal me, she had said. I should have been bolder and kissed her at the end. I should have been more cautious. I had talked too much. I had said too little. Oh, boy. Well, you know, Simon has one thing going for him. He's practicing. That's one thing that Quoth is not doing. He's not practicing. And so he is not learning the lessons that Simon is learning. one of the reasons I think it benefits boys to have a good relationship with their father. One of the reasons is that you get someone to encourage you in your youth towards dating, towards making the mistakes and learning from them. A good father is there to help you learn from your errors and 
That's something that Quoth was sadly denied due to his uh, unfortunate past. But a good father will encourage you as a, as a young man to go and talk to women. He'll, he'll coach you in, in how, to, how to speak to women, how to treat them. So that you're doing things properly. Treating women correctly and as they should be treated. With respect and... It's not always obvious that the course you should take, but it's better to take any course at all and correct as you move and learn more about it. Jump to a different path as you realize the one you're on is not taking you where you wish rather than to stand still and to do nothing and go nowhere. So learn now, if you have not already learned, learn to speak to those of the opposite sex. Women, if you think you have nothing to learn, but you already know how to speak to those of the opposite sex, humor me. Try to learn what the other is looking for and what lands well. Not just what is passable, but what is actually good. You might be surprised and humbled to know how much you don't know and how much skill you don't possess. There's a difference between simply accepting advances and actually putting yourself out for the opportunity to be rejected. Oh, by the way, um, the version of this book I'm reading is the 10th anniversary edition. It has bright red on the outside of the pages, and at the end of that chapter, there's a picture of death. I have to say, uh, if this is accurate to Patrick's imagining of her. She is quite pretty. Something mysterious about her. It's a very good drawing. Very well. Okay, let's see. How long is chapter 63? Oh, it's fairly short. Let's read it. Chapter 63. Walking and Talking. Willem and Simmon were already well into their lunches when I arrived at our usual spot in the courtyard. Sorry, I said as I set my lute on the cobblestones near the bench. Got caught up haggling. I had been on the other side of the river buying a dram of quicksilver and a pouch of sea salt. The last had cost me dearly, but for once I wasn't concerned about money. If fortune smiled on me, I would be moving up the ranks in the fishery soon. 
that meant my money troubles would soon be over. While shopping in Imri, I had also, quite by coincidence, wandered past the inn where Denna was staying, but she hadn't been there, or at the Aeolian, or in the park where we'd stopped to talk last night. All the same, I was in a fine mood. I tipped my loot case onto its side and flipped it open so the sun could warm the new strings, helping them stretch. Oh yes, that's a thing. Um, any of you who do not play stringed instruments, new strings have a tendency to stretch for ooh, days uh, and continuously go out of tune. So sunning the strings and letting them stretch in some nice warm weather is very useful, actually. Um, it can help them reach their, uh, what I guess, maximum stretch so that they'll stop um, going out of tune. Let's see. Um, then I settled onto the stone bench under the pennant pole next to my two friends. So where were you last night? Simon asked too casually. It was only then I remembered that the three of us had planned to meet up with Fenton and play corners last night, seeing Denna had completely driven the plan from my mind. Oh god, I'm sorry, Sim. How long did you wait for me? He gave me a look. I'm sorry, I repeated. Hoping I looked as guilty as I felt, I forgot. Sim grinned, shrugging it off. It's not a big deal. When we figured out you weren't going to the show, we went to the, to the library to drink and look at girls. Was Fenton mad? Furious, Willem said calmly, finally entering the conversation. Said he was going to box your ears next time he saw you. Sim's, gr Sim's grin widened. He called you a fluff-headed elir with no respect for his betters. Made claims about your parentage with, uh, and sexual tendency toward animals, Willem said in a straight face. In the Telen's cassock, Simmons sang with his mouth full. Then he laughed and started to choke. I pounded him on the back. Where were you? Willem asked while Sim tried to get his breath back. Anchor said you left early. For some reason, I found myself reluctant to talk about Denna. I met someone. Someone more important than us? Willem asked in a flat tone that could be taken for dry humor or criticism. A girl, I admitted. One of his eyebrows went up. The one you've been chasing around? I haven't been chasing anyone, I protested. She found me at Anchor's. Good sign. Willem said. Simon nodded wisely, then looked up with a playful glint in his eye. So did you make any music? He nudged me with an elbow and wagged his eyebrows up and down. A little duet? She looked... Oh, sorry, not she. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> he looked too ridiculous for me to be offended. No music. She just wanted someone to walk her home. Walk her home, she said to... Uh, he said suggestively, wagging his eyebrows again. I found it less amusing this time. It was dark out, I said seriously. I just escorted her back to Imre. Oh, Sim said, disappointed. You left Anchors early, Will said slowly. And we waited for an hour. Does it take you two hours to walk to Imre and back? It was a long walk, 
I admitted. How long is long? Simon asked. A few hours. Six. I looked away. Six hours? Simma asked. Come on, I think I'm entitled to a few details after listening to you ramble on about her for the last two spans. I began to bristle. I don't ramble. We just walked. I said, talked. Sim looked doubtful. Oh, come on. For six hours? Willem tapped Simmon's shoulder. He's telling the truth. Simmon glanced over at him. Why do you say that? He sounds more sincere than that when he lies. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Uh, if the two of you will be quiet for a minute or so, I'll tell you the whole of it. Fair? They nodded. I looked down at my hands, trying to collect my thoughts but they wouldn't fall into any sort of orderly pattern. We took the long way back to Imre, stopped on Stonebridge for a while, went to a park outside town, sat by the river. We talked about nothing, really. Places we've been, songs. I realized I was rambling and shut my mouth. I picked my next words carefully. I thought about doing more than walking and talking, but I stopped. I had no idea what to say. They were both silent for a moment. I'll be, Willem marveled. The mighty Kvoth brought low by a woman. If I didn't know you, I'd think you were scared, Simon said, not quite seriously. You're damn right I'm scared, I said in a low voice, wiping my hands nervously against my pants. You'd be too if you'd ever met her. It's all I can do to sit here instead of running off to Imre hoping to see her through a store window or pass her crossing the street. I gave a shaky smile. Go then, Simmons smiled and gave me a little push. Godspeed. If I knew a woman like that, I wouldn't be here eating lunch with the likes of you two. He brushed his hair away from his eyes and gave me another push with his free hand. Go on. I stayed where I was. It's not that easy. Of course it's that easy. Oh, let's see. Uh, no, I skipped a line. Uh, I stayed where I was. It's not that easy. Nothing's ever easy with you, Willem muttered. Of course it's that easy, Simon laughed. Go tell her some of what you just told us. Right, I said, dark sarcasm. As if it were simple as singing. Besides, I don't know if she would want to hear it. She's something special. What would she want with me? Simon gave me a frank stare. She came looking for you. She obviously wants something. There was a moment of silence, and I hurried to change the subject while I had the chance. Monat's given me permission to start my journeyman product, a project. Already, Sim gave me an anxious look. Will Kilvin go along with it? He's not a big one for cutting corners. I didn't cut any corners, I said. I just picked things up quickly. Willem gave an amused snort, and Sim spoke up before the two of us started to bicker. What are you doing for your project? Sympathy lamp? Everyone does a lamp, Willem said. I nodded. I wanted to do something different. Maybe a gear win, but... Monet told me to stick to the lamp. The belling tower struck four. I got to my feet and gathered up my loot case, ready to head to class. You should tell her, Simmons said. If you like a girl, you have to let her know. How's that working out for you so far? I said, irritated that... Sim, of all people, would presume to give me relationship advice. Statistically speaking, how often has that strategy paid off in your vast experience? 
Willem made a point of looking elsewhere while Sim and I glared at each other. I looked away first, feeling guilty. Besides, there's nothing to tell, I muttered. I like spending time with her, and now I know where she's staying. That means I can find her when I go looking. As if you could just go find Denna. <laughs> the presumption. Well, I know it's my first one back in a while, but I'm going to call it there for tonight. Alright, well, um, I will try to be more regular about posting. I know it's been, what, five, six weeks since I've posted another, another um, episode. I will try to do better and get these up more frequently. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Is there anything else anyone else wants to add today? Um, no, I, I think that's it. Um, I will post this right away. Have a good night, everyone.